Well, uh, excited this morning to be continuing in our series, working through the book of Ephesians. We haven't made it real far. We're in chapter 2 here, looking at verses 8 through 10. So we're tackling 8, 9, 3 verses uh, this morning, but excited to be doing that. It reminded me when I was reading through the, the text or these couple verses of kind of a past experience. I was working at Willow Creek Community Church in Chicago, which is a, a larger church, like 20,000 people uh, there has worked with their young adults. And uh, one of the things that I was responsible for, I was leading this, this basketball uh, ministry, this basketball league, in fact. And they had, I mean, tons of guys involved. In it. They had an A league, a B league, a C league, and then I introduced an X league, which was just uh, made up of guys in their 20s. That was back when we were known as Gen X. Uh, but one of the, the fun things was just because it was such a large uh, league, it really drew some pretty incredible athletes. And so we had a lot of ex-NBA guys, ex-guys that played college basketball. And our particular team that I was in, I was in the ex-league, and this was the top, top league there. And along the, the, during the season, I came to this realization that, wait a second, I'm not really a participator in this. I'm just kind of along for the ride. You know, like, I don't know if you've ever been in one of those scenarios. Like, I, I, we had one particular guy. He had just finished playing four years at Notre Dame. His name was Lamar Justice, was our, our guard at 6'5". And I was like, you know what? I, I'm vertically challenged. I, I'm, I'm, I can't jump. I, I'm, I can shoot every once. And I'm like, I'm really not contributing much of anything along this. In fact, during the season, like, all of the accomplishments, you're just like, that was fun to be a part of. But I was just along for the ride. We'd be down by like 10 points and we'd take a, a timeout and we're like, hey, Lamar, can you, can you catch us up and make us win? He's like, sure. And he, he would just, just, just kind of just take over the game. And, and, but but the, the feeling the entire time was that the, the, the path had been paved to the finals and it had absolutely nothing to do with me on a much larger scale, spiritually speaking, that's what this text points to. This text points to this idea that it really has nothing to do. There, there's no part of the salvation story that you get to say, yeah, that was me. I, I did that. I accomplished it. In fact, the entire, entire thing, when you look at it, it based on this text, you're going to be like, yeah, there's really only one hero. Like there, there's only, only him and I'm just along for the ride. The way has been paved. We're going to pray before we dive into this text. God, thank you for this awesome section of Scripture that many of us have even committed to memory has been a, a, a source of strength and encouragement. And I pray that this morning as well, that as we talk about in this series an unshakable identity, that we would realize that that unshakable identity is solely because our identity is based in you. You're the hero, the reason we come together this morning, the reason we sing, the reason we, we celebrate and praise you. We pray that you would teach us through this text that you'd be great and I'd be small. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. All right, so verse 8, you're going to see wh why I make this point right out of the gates. It says that God paves the way for salvation. Look in verse 8, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Let's stop there just for a moment and explain that or work through that. The first observation that I, that I made is really that if you think about our life, really our, our life is made up of a series of acts of faith. 
Think about it. You can't really go on a, a, a day without exercising some degree of faith in something or somebody. Even you right now, you're trusting that that seat is going to hold you right now. Like that's an exercise of faith, of faith. Anything that we, we do, I was, as a, before I come up here every week, I double check my belt because that would be embarrassing. I'm exercising faith that my belt's going to hold up my pants. You think of, you take that to any extreme, like you drink, ever thought about this? You drink from a Coke can? Who knows what's in that thing, you know? Like anybody ever been burned with a bee that comes out of one of them? Um, that's not fun. But, but everything is an exercise of faith. You drop your kids off at school. You're trusting that somebody out there is going to look after them for the next six hours. Like that's an exercise of faith. Every single thing, if you start to break it down, you're like, that's an exercise of faith. I put cash in the ATM. I expect it to make it in my bank account. Are you kidding me? Like all these things, anybody, even the most self-reliant, skeptical person is demanded to exercise some degree of faith in the everyday. It's part of our human existence. And here it starts by saying the one way in which we access grace is through faith. Simple faith. Faith in the saving work of Jesus Christ. Faith that, that he bore my sin on the cross. It was so awesome. In between services uh, this morning, I talked to a couple that were uh, meeting for marriage counseling. I didn't ask them permission for this, so I hope it's okay. But, uh, but they were meeting in marriage counseling, and just this morning, they prayed to embrace Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They made that choice in faith to embrace the work that Christ has done on our behalf. And it's all drawn from, from faith, putting their, their faith in that. But the fascinating thing that I see here in the text, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. Even faith, when you're thinking about the salvation plan, is a gift from God. You're like, well, how do you know that? Well, well, look at the one, it says it here. Two, look at our last section last week when it was saying that we were dead in our sins and transgressions. Dead people don't exercise faith. We use that il illustration last week of sometimes the gospel is presented as, you know, we we're floundering at the top of the water and about to drown, and, and someone threw us the, the lifeline, and we grabbed hold of it, and you're like, I don't really think that's it. I think we were blue and at the bottom of the pool. And so that's the, that's the idea here, is that we were gone. We were beyond our own saving. We couldn't exercise faith. Even that demanded outside involvement, and God chose to take the blinders off, give us an understanding of our, our, our desperate need for, for grace. He gave us that. Then he gave us the, the ability to embrace that truth. Every single piece of the process is his. He's the source of it. He's the root of it. That's why it says, not a result of works so that no one may boast. Like the story of a, a little boy that came forward at the end of a church service where the pastor had presented the opportunity to, to come and receive Jesus Christ and embrace his work on the cross for the forgiveness of their sins. And this boy comes forward and, and, uh, and it was, the pastor was talking to him, excited to see his, his little soft heart and kind of hear what was going on. And, and the boy explained to him, he said, tell me, the pastor said, tell me about this. And he says, well, he says, God did his part and I did my part. Pastor was a little concerned that he wasn't quite getting the gospel message, that it has nothing to, you didn't do any of this, this is all God's doing. So he asked the little boy, he's like, well, what part did you actually do? 
He's like, oh, well, well that, that's easy. I did the sinning. He did the saving. <laughs> I was thinking about that, and that is, with a childlike faith, that's the picture that we have. We did the sinning. He did the saving. It's an awesome reality that he paved the way for salvation. And then he had continued work to do. Look at verse 10. God also paves the way for a new look. We're going to break verse 10 into three parts. First one is this part. For we are his workmanship. We are his workmanship. Like this idea of it being a new look. We had a 50th anniversary. I guess it's been a few weeks back now. Anybody was here for that? I think a lot of you were. One of the highlights or fun pieces was to go through all these old church directories and see pictures of people that have been here a really long time and laugh at how different they look. Anybody enjoy doing this? Anybody pull out some old photo books of your own that you just like to go back and be like, ha ha, look at that. I'm the worst because like I used to not be follically challenged. And, uh, and so like some of the old picture, I got the slick back hair and like the, and somebody recently told me that, uh, that it looks like my head was turned upside down when I have a beard. I was like, well, that's, that's kind of mean. But uh, anyway, but, but it's fun to look back and you see the progression of our changed looks. We start to look different over time. One, the aging process. Two, styles. There's all kinds of factors. The truth is, based on this text, we see that we're also changing our look when we went from being dead to being alive. A dead person looks real different than a live person. That's why he describes, for we are his workmanship. He's in the process of creating us. There's no way we can look the same when we have a different leader, when we have different boundaries, when we have different priorities, when we have different purposes. Like the, You realize, you're like, it doesn't really work to look the same. You have to look different when you're in Christ. That's why he describes us as his workmanship. Looking at the root of that word workmanship this week, it was kind of neat. The word actually meant is the same word used for poem. Poem. So we're God's poem. He's gradually writing us and de- describing us and, and, and shaping us into this beautiful masterpiece. God is at work in each one of us, and it's a process. We'll stick with the kids' stories this, this morning. I'll go with one more. I like this story of this disruptive kid in Sunday school being asked, why do you act like that? Don't you know who made you? To which he replied, God did, but he ain't through with me yet. This, which is kind of the same idea here, workmanship, that he's still crafting. Jesus wasn't just a carpenter here on earth. He went on to continue his carpentry, only it looks a little bit different now with living stones. You've seen this passage maybe, First Peter 2, 4 through 5. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. He's at work in you, this creator, this designer. He's writing poetry. You are his poem. It's a beautiful picture, something that we can cling to and understand that he's not finished. But man, if there's anybody that's going to make you look good, it's going to be him. Somebody shared this picture. Actually, my brother-in-law shared this picture this week. I don't know if you can read it from there, but it's a haircut place. 
It says, if we can't make you look good, you ugly. <laughs> I don't know if that drew many people into the, the, the salon, but I was thinking about that picture as it relates to this. Some people are like, well, that's, that's kind of crass. Yeah, maybe a little bit. But I was thinking about it, this, this, this picture is really it. If God's not going to be able to change you, man, you, we're kind of ugly. Like, it, it, it's, it, it's, it's him. It's his design. He's making us more in his likeness. And the awesome thing, if you've been following Christ for a while, you might not look exactly the way you want to look right now, but you look a lot different than you did in the photo five years ago. Look a lot different than you did in the photo 10 years ago. For the, some of us that have been following a really, the Lord for a really long time, you're almost unrecognizable from 20 years ago. God transforms us and makes us more and more like himself. He's involved not just in the saving, but also in the transforming process of our life. Continues in that same verse, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. For good works, clearly identifying the purpose there. God paves the way for a new purpose. Often people misunderstand the relationship between faith and works. You've probably felt that tension, even we've talked about it here in church before. People are like, yeah, but I thought uh, we're not saved by, by works, but they're expected. And you're like, yeah, they're, they're pretty much married through this whole process. If you think about it, although not saved by works, still there's a place for it in the life of a believer they're part of our new look, if you will. They authenticate genuine faith. Look at this passage in John 15, 8. It's an evidence, if you will. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. So prove to be my disciples. It authenticates the, authenticates the fact that something's going on. He, he or she, they look very different than they used to. There must be something at work inside of them. Saved by grace alone, but grace doesn't remain alone. There's fruit. We're not saved by good works, but we're saved for good works. The progression is very important. You see, that's, it points to that even in the text here. It says this. It says, created in Christ Jesus... For good, for good works. When we're in Christ, things start to look different. You see, then, then you're doing things f out, of, out of a response to what he's done for your life. It's, it's he's infusing it. It's done in his power and for his glory. Think of the opposite end of the spectrum. Otherwise, a lot of times you look around and you're like, I know lots of people that don't know Christ that do lots of good works. But look at the difference. When it's in Christ, it's done in his power, and for his glory. When, it, when it's done in the flesh, when it's done it, by man, it's done in my power and for my glory. There's a big difference. There's a shift that happens of what's driving our good works. It's a, it's, it's a clue that the Father is at work around us. It's a result of his work in my life. I was Thinking this last week of an example of like clues that, that it's the uh, evidence that the father has been there. My, uh, my dad, I was teasing him in the first service, he was sit sitting here. One of the things that we grew up with is my dad always liked fig newtons. Does anybody else eat fig newtons in, in here? I was actually shocked with how many hands went up in the first service too. I didn't know how they stayed in business, but, uh, 
But honestly, my, my dad has really been a strong supporter over the years. In fact, if, we're, if he's house-sitting at our, at our place, and uh, he's, we've been away for a week, and he's, he's there, we'll come back, and we'll look in the cupboard, and there's like these packages of half-eaten fig newtons. It's like, it's like clues. It's like a, a mouse leaving a trail behind. It's like my, my dad has these evidences that, man, the father has been here. And really, if you think, stay with me, if you think, if you think here about good works, good works, stay with me, are the fig newton of God the Father, Jesus Christ doing a work in us. There's evidence all around. You start, you start to see like, wait a second, he's clearly at work in him because I know Scott, and he's genuinely kind of selfish and self-centered and kind of a jerk, but man, God must really be doing something there. There must be an evidence of, uh, of something happening. That's the clue that it's genuine. And so that's the, the tough thing when somebody says, like, I'm following Christ, and you really look at their life, and there's pretty much zero evidence of any, any works or transformation happening. It's the question is, somebody's lying. Because God says that we're created for good works and that He's do, that we're His workmanship, that He's doing that. So, so if there's not works in the person's life, you're just like either God's lying or the person is lying, right? Because it's clues, it's evidences that God is transforming and writing His poem in and through you. And the wonderful thing is not only is He active in, in that workmanship, so He's He's currently actively moving in your life. He's also setting the table for you to do it. Look at what it describes as good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is mind-blowing. Think about this for a second. So not only does he call us to good works, he literally paves the road and tees them up for us to walk in them. Like, man, he really is active and every single part of this process. That's my point. That's my point. It's all about him. He gets the glory and the praise for all of it. Even the stuff that he's called us to, he's like, yeah, I set up that opportunity for you to walk in good works. I set up that opportunity for you to walk in good works. I set up that opportunity. Like he literally invites it to it, but then also creates the opportunities. He tees them up. Even the good works uh, that we have, it's all stuff that he set up. We see here in advance. I don't know if you've ever had one of those, uh, this just couldn't be a coincidence kind of moments. You guys have those in your days, in your week. You're just like, it's almost like God orchestrated that. It's almost like he set it up before time began. Dun, ding, 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 ding. You're right. He did. He even set up every single moment. There's no such thing as coincidences in your life. He's orchestrating it and giving us the opportunity for fulfillment and joy, all of that, when we choose to walk in them. Think back even just different coincidences around it. First day with my new mouth. Uh, around here, things, things that you try out and you, you're, like, you're like, whoa, how did... I was, we were just having dinner uh, last week with the Echevarias and just talking with them. And my wife had, had met them in a, uh, they've been at the church for about three years now, and uh, had just met them in a parent-teacher conference, one of those meetings at the school at Willow Elementary. Hey, if you don't have a church, why don't you join us? And they actually did. And you start looking at their life, and that they just got baptized this past 
August and you start seeing the transformation there and you're like, well, maybe God had set that up for us just to walk in, extend an invite. And you think about that, you start to see like, man, his hand is moving all over the place. Our job is just figuring out where he's at work and joining him in that. That was the big idea. I don't know if any of you that have done any uh, of these kind of Bible studies over the years, one of the ones that was more shaping in my life is called Experiencing God. Anybody ever been through one of those studies by uh, Blackaby? I forget his first name. Um, what is it? Henry Blackaby. And this was really a, a shaping uh, study in my life because that was the premise of this, uh, the, this whole book was the, the idea that our goal in life is just looking to identify where God is at work and joining him in it. But here's what I'd suggest some years after being in that adventure, you start seeing, wait a second, he's at work everywhere. Like your, your eyes haven't fallen on somebody that he's not stirring and moving in to some degree. Now granted, sometimes it's a little bit harder to identify in some people than others, right? But, but the truth is, man, what an awesome adventure that's inviting us to. It changes the mundane and the ordinary into all of a sudden an exciting adventure, the most boring job. A lot of times people think of kind of this, this secular world that they have good works in and they, they have like at the church working there. And I would say, no, there's, there's no separation between those two worlds. There, there's no such thing. There's not, it's not as if we need to kind of start over and all go to, uh, to try to steal my job as a pastor. And, uh, but instead, he's saying, like, why don't we just infuse Christ, love, grace, forgiveness into the different places we're already positioned? That's the awesome thing that he's inviting. He's like, I've teed you up. I've set you up at your workplace. I've set you up at your gym. I've set you up at the, uh, at the gas station. I've set you up with opportunities for you to live this out. I've noticed, too, is sometimes it's varying levels where you're just like, well, sometimes it's just a, 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 a really friendly greeting. Uh, how you doing? Maybe it's a goodbye. Hey, God bless you. Maybe it's a, a Stephanie Ross. Can I pray for you? Maybe it's a, a moving a conversation towards spiritual things. All of these things are opportunities for us to move what is mundane into something that has eternity redirecting potential. I was uh, out to lunch this last week. It was kind of fun um, with uh, a messianic rabbi. His name is Rabbi Jason Sobel. He's been attending our church uh, when, when he's able to, and we were just chatting over lunch, and the, the waitress was uh, coming up, and I'd mentioned to him, like, yeah, I come here fairly regularly at Hugo's, and I was like, man, we're, we're just praying for this, this particular lady, and, and, uh, and when she came up, she, he said to her, you know what? He goes, it's not every day you get to serve a rabbi and a pastor together. And is there anything we can pray for you about? And uh, it's like the beginning of a joke, you know what I mean? Like a, a, ra- a rabbi and a pastor were sitting at a cafe, and you know. And so, uh, but 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 here, you know, it was so awesome. It was one of those teed up moments where she starts sharing, like what's going on with her with her mom and some of the str- struggles and burdens that she has. And we got to got to pray over her. It was just a just a really powerful moment. You just never know what God is lining up for you. It takes the mundane and makes it an adventure. And I question us, and we'll end with this: What else? Do we have going on that's a bigger deal than that? 
It's God's kindness that he chooses, like, hey, hey, he's like, I could accomplish all of this, but I choose to include you in the process. You get to be my represent, representation to the world around us of my love and grace. He has done it all. He's the hero of the salvation story. He's the hero of the transformation story. He's the hero of even teeing up our good works. That's why we sing on Sunday mornings. Let me pray as we wrap up. God, I thank you so much for this picture of your involvement. It's not a little bit of a separated and help out with a few things or chip in a little bit. Man, it is an all-inclusive, fully involved, fully engaged story. We praise you for that. We praise you that we can have that confidence that you haven't left it up, really, any of it to us but you have chosen to include us in it. I pray that even going into this week ahead, that we would walk in these good works, that we take advantage of this new life in Christ, not doing things out of my own ambition or my own human effort for my glory, but doing things driven and motivated by you, by your work, by you writing this poem out of me for your glory and for your honor. We praise you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. That song is perfect because really isn't that the only natural response? After you get a glimpse as to all he's done, the natural repercussion would be like, oh, well, I just want to give myself to you fully. Let's keep pursuing that complete surrender even going into this week. God bless you. Have a wonderful Sunday.